On today's episode, featuring guest host Christopher Kimball, we talk about the God complex of politicians, talk yet again about correlation and causation, analyze the pernicious system of government student loans, see some outrage over the government lifting mandates off public transportation, and finally, listen to someone berate NBC for not being a cheerleader for Biden. This is Cringe Posts. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Cringe Post Podcast. This is the show where we take a look through our feeds and we gather the cringiest political and cultural takes. We break down where they went wrong, challenge the underlying assumptions, and hope to have a laugh along the way. My name is Donald, and my co-host, Britt, is out on vacation, so we're going to be having some special guests co-host with me. And to start things off, I have my father, Chris Kimball, here with us. If you want to shout out anything you're working on, thanks for joining me today. I'm just thankful to be here and glad I didn't wear my black glasses and dye my hair a little or people wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between you and me. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the that's always the thing we get. Uh, so if you think you're seeing double, you're not. I promise we are different people. He, he's my dad. But of course, we always like to start the show by... Uh, making fun of ourselves because we don't like to throw stones from gla glass houses. So before we look into other people's bad takes, we're going to look at some of our own. And before we do that, just a reminder to like, share, and comment if you're having a good time. Subscriptions really help us. And as a reminder, if you are listening to this podcast uh, without viewing the video on YouTube or Odyssey, and you want to look at those cringe posts visually, we do have a guide on our website, cringeposts.com, so you can go there to check out the various posts in their visual format. With that being said, let's go ahead and dunk <clears throat> a post from my guest co-host here today, uh, and this this one comes back from 2012. Now, um, to give context, uh, in 2012, I was on an international school field trip in the UK, and I was required to keep track of the various sites we'd seen and activities we did and historic things we learned about in this journal. So instead of doing a journal, I, I wrote a blog so that people at home could follow along. And so my mom was very diligent in commenting with her, I think it was a Blogspot account, or maybe it was a WordPress account. She had this account, and I had some other teachers commenting on things. So <clears throat> my science teacher, who was not on the trip, was commented on one of my posts here, and he, he posted, Enjoying your blog immensely, as I'm picturing every scene you describe so ably. Durham Cathedral is where I asked a workman for a piece of marble that he was replacing in the floor in front of the altar. Imagine the foot of Venerable Bede treading reverently across that very piece. I carry it in my car dashboard at all times. And then he signs it. Now, <clears throat> in the comments, you can leave a comment like that, but you can also reply directly to someone else's comment. And so... My poor mom, on her account, replied to this comment. However, it was not mom who replied, but it was, in fact, my co-host, my father. So, it says, Vicky K says, when in, and here's the comment, Hi, this is dad hijacking mom's Facebook. I just want you to know that I went to McDonald's and I am now the Mayor McCheese. Do you want to explain anything, what the thought process behind that comment there? Well, the thought process was at that point I had no idea how how Facebook even worked, and so I got on Facebook thinking I could send a note and that only you would see it. <laughs> Instead, it went out to the whole world and made no sense whatsoever. I was referring to that thing you used to check in when you Foursquare, I think it was called, yep. and you would yep, go to places right. and check in and become the mayor. And so I was ridiculing that, but unfortunately, ended up just making myself look really stupid well and my favorite thing is this was on wordpress not facebook and you were specifically replying to my teacher not you know even leaving a general comment so not oh. only could everyone see it but you were directly addressing <laughs> my biology teacher and uh my mom after the fact left another comment saying i specifically told dad not to take over my account so embarrassing or something like that so this was, yeah, this was a great post. I'm glad we still have it uh, to preserve for posterity. I can't believe you actually found it 10 years later. But Vicky and I are still married, so that's the good news. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. Even if you do steal her WordPress slash Facebook account, I guess. 
Okay, so we're going to go ahead and move on to some of these cringe posts from other people. <clears throat> and we're going to start on Reddit, which is my favorite cesspool of bad takes. So this Redditor posts... Uh, oh, and this is in reply to a comment about Mitch McConnell doing something in the Senate. I think he like denied a bill that would have increased funding for um, school free school lunches, I believe. So he he blocked some bill like that. And this this redditor replies, "I don't understand why this guy is still in a position of power. It is so obvious that he has no interest in his constituents and only cares about how much money he can grab for himself." And uh, as Britt and I like to do every so often, I'm going to categorize this one in the accidentally based category because as much as this is actually a really cringy take, it's also totally accurate. And the cringe that I find is that this person's presupposition is that people who want to do good get rewarded in politics or people who are self-sacrificial are the, these noble politicians and you just got to weed out these bad ones like Mitch McConnell. And I can't believe he's still in power. He's corrupt. <laughs> and it's kind of like... Yeah, that's that's the point. That that's the, that's the kind of person who's rewarded in this system. Um, I don't know if you, if you have initial thoughts on this. Well, I remember going to Washington D.C. a few years back and traveling underneath the grounds to get between the two uh, big you know, pinnacles of power. And the <laughs> thing that was so ridiculous was that you could feel people just brown nosing everywhere these people were walking around like little kings and the serfs were running around what can we do for you sir what can we do for you ma'am it was ridiculous in fact i went into adam smith's office to talk about it was financial services you know, in industry promoting certain things that would basically help the financial services industry and a couple of us went into adam smith's office and he said oh here there are the people that were there are the people that i work for and I thought, you don't believe that for a second. Are you kidding me? You don't care about me at all. And literally, it was everybody trying to get their little piece of, of crumbs from the table of these these kings and oligarchs. And it was just, I left feeling like I needed to take a bath. It, the whole thing was just slimy. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I, I think it's really funny that there's apparently some subsect of people that still think that these people when they say things like there's the people i work for they're like yeah that's me <laughs> like, i mean the funny thing to me too is it's like if you you know if, if that person adam smith if he actually believed that then in that moment you could kind of tell him what to do right if someone's working for you you get to direct them so are you at that point you could say oh do you mind running and grabbing me a cup of tea real quick you know <laughs> well you do work for me i do you do work for me after all right um so it's it's just an absurd concept and and this person uh on reddit is, is so incensed that how I can't believe Mitch McConnell would would do something like this how could someone like this and it and and you think you know in in the same case um with in my opinion like police officers or teachers and politicians is that even though even though there can be good ones usually they are newer usually not always and the system doesn't reward them being good. So they are good in spite of the system they find themselves in, rather than the system lending itself to good teachers or good policemen or good politicians. And so the, this person, the fact that he's still in power is crazy. It's like, well, no, that, that, that's the natural effect. The longer you go there, the worse you get. I think that's true of pretty much every politician. It seems that's a big temptation for most because human nature is such that most people do crave power, or at least when they get it, they begin to realize how nice it feels to have people look up to them and worship them and, and hang on their every word. It's it's very insidious, too. I did a thing for many years, and hopefully we'll resurrect it again, called Woodstick, where we got all these drummers together and broke the Guinness World Record and raised a bunch of money, and these celebrity drummers were showing up. It was great. And I never thought of myself as any kind of celebrity drummer, but because Don Bennett and I kind of organized the whole thing, and I actually thought of the idea originally, a lot of these drummers were coming up to me and saying, boy, it's so great you started this, and this is awesome. And I began to feel like, yeah, yeah, I am kind of special. Yeah, I did start something cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you need to treat me with a little more respect. And it's And I caught myself, I hope, in time, but it is just incredible how quickly 
You can become addicted to that feeling of power, the feeling of being able to tell people what to do, or even that amount of respect that you feel like you're getting from people. It becomes really intoxicating. Yeah. No, I think that I think that's right. And um, I don't know if I don't know if the inability to see that is a symptom of sort of this very partisan. Uh, I identify with this political view, and the Republicans are all evil. Therefore, they're the corrupt ones, and I can't believe they're still in power there. Or if it's just a a naivety of this person's never really been in a position of high responsibility and high power you know they maybe they they've only sort of worked on the lowest end of a, of their job if they if they have a job maybe they have maybe they're just in college or something like that but they, they've never been in a position to wield that kind of power or that authority you know i would say that i think you're onto something and i think they actually blend together and one actually probably exacerbates the other for example if a person comes from sort of lowly beginnings and then starts to get this feeling of importance and power, and then finds that because the political spectrum is so polarized, that if he or she says something that's extreme one way or the other, they get an extreme reaction from that base. And even if you're alienating 50% of the population, if you've got another 50% that just craves what you say and just absolutely exalts you, that it amplifies that feeling of power tremendously. In fact, I would almost argue that if you try to straddle the fence and try to be someone who brings people together and is more of a moderate, that does not give you that same rush of adoration because neither side actually does jump up and say, yes, yes, yes. They kind of go, okay, well, we can compromise. So I think in a way, having that rush of import self-importance actually does push you one direction or another. So you know you know what's funny? Even as you say that, I agree, I agree. But I think that that very phenomenon has actually made a rush in the center. So you think about someone like Mitt Romney, and I think he feels very entitled. I think he feels like all of the right establishment heads kind of respect him. You know, the 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 people who are acceptable Republicans or acceptable uh, journalists. They sort of, in this current era anyway, when he was running for president, not so much. But now that he's, you know, stood up to Trump, who who I think was one of those extremes, right? You're saying something and invigorating the small base. Well, when, when he, he sort of stands up to that, then all of the respectable people, even if it's not the same sort of energy of a, of a populist base, but all the respectable people say, see, you know, we... We may disagree, but at least he hasn't sold out his morals, you know, and he gets that self-important rush from there. Now, never mind the fact that those very same people will sell him out the moment he votes against the way they want him to. Because I, I can't remember what bill it was like. He voted to confirm a Supreme Court justice like Kavanaugh or something. And after having lauded Mitt Romney for standing up to Trump and being this principle over party kind of guy, they're like, oh, he's an evil crook. Just just again. So they'll flip the script on you in a moment. But I think that that phenomenon you're describing does exist. It's just it kind of manifests differently when you're that moderate. I would say the moderates have kind of a uh, superiority complex because what yeah. they would cling to is the fact that we're not extreme. We don't rush to one side or the other. And because we're not extreme, we're superior. We're intellectually higher than the people that rush to one side or the other. And so it sort of waters down the whole idea of taking a stand against good yeah. <laughs> or bad or evil and you know all that you know basically delineating the differences and being able to say I think this is absolutely wrong and this is absolutely right you try to have that squishy approach where you're going to try to appeal to more people now I would be interested in your opinion about whether or not the more people being in the middle is becoming a smaller group since it seems like things are becoming more and more polarized I think it's I have a very good friend that ran as a Democrat but he was pro-life and he got crucified by the Democrats. He said the Republicans were kinder to him than the Democrats were because he was sort of both. And because he didn't completely toe the party line, he got completely ostracized by the left. Yeah, I, I think honestly, it's it's not necessarily that the people in the middle are growing smaller so much as the active people in the middle are growing smaller or the, the, the people who generally 
are opinionated or active in politics are getting louder who are extreme you know i think yeah. the people who are somewhat apathetic to politics if, if you were able to sort of have this omniscience of where everyone stood politically i think you would still see a massive group in that middle but i think the people who are already driven to politics generally are kind of eccentric or outspoken in some way shape or form anyway and so with the platform of uh smaller viewpoints being able to gain traction without going through the approved channels like CNN or a debate stage at all, right? You can have your voice heard on Joe Rogan, even if you're not heard on CNN and you get heard by more people. I think that makes people who have had more extreme or uh, eccentric views able to promote that and then excite other people who are feel similarly and maybe did not feel they had a chance or had a voice prior. So it might just be that the people who existed before are now becoming more active in that sphere. But I don't know. That's that's my hmm. hunch anyway. So do you want to take a look at this next post? Yes, it's let's do it. Gasoline. Yeah, the post was gas was $1.64 uh, in, in Elgin, Texas. Then Biden was elected. Today, $3.80. Nice job. And the response is, Correlation does not imply or mean causation. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I just dunked on this in the previous episode, the correlation causation thing. I don't. I think I just talked about that, but I thought it was so. It's such a funny example of it. I had to highlight it. I know. Of course, they would throw, trot that out as if that has some relevance. It's sort of like when well, you can trace the causation all the way back to the policies that created this mess, and to say it's just coincidental is ridiculous. It's laughable. It's like saying, you know, 100,000 people were killed when the atom bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. But you know, correlation doesn't mean causation. Yeah, right. You know? Right. Or, or, or even something like, um, you know, our, our car emissions in the United States dropped drastically in 2020. I think it was probably because people are becoming more eco-conscious. It has nothing to do with the lockdowns. Correlation doesn't equal causation. Just because we locked down the country in 2020 yeah. doesn't mean that's why. You know, <laughs> in order to make any kind of educated, you know, assimilation of data, yes, there are a million factors that can, you know, affect things. But but you do also have to look at cause and effect. So, you know, when you when you close down pipelines and then you sanction countries... Uh, that you're buying your oil from and those countries are you know sort of tyrannical in the ways that they sell their oil and of course they're gonna raise their prices you don't you don't need to look uh, to to find some weird number of factors to see if you c reduce the supply without reducing the demand you're gonna have increased price I would say or respond to this people are buying more electric cars than ever. And look what's happening to gas prices. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the other thing is, I think this was posted before, but just today, uh, President Biden announced that uh, we would not be buying oil from Russia now. And that's going to be another massive blow to the prices. I mean, well, well it's going to increase them, not not drop them. But I mean, it's, it's going to be a massive blow to the consumer because the prices are going to skyrocket. And... Uh, and so you're going to see all the different games that the media in particular and then the, the useful idiots who tout the media lines are going to go through. It's, it's kind of like with inflation where they started out by saying, oh, this inflation, it's just transitory. It's not going to last. Then they said things like, well, this inflation actually can be a good thing. And then they said, this inflation is corporate greed. And so you've gone through all these, and now they're going to say things like, like with the, the the gas, it's like, well, correlation doesn't imply causation, and then it's going to be like, well, um, it's actually a good thing because we need to reduce reduce our dependence on these kinds of fuels, fuels and oils, and then it's going to say, wow, if you if you if you're not happily paying eight dollars at the gallon, you hate Ukraine. That's that's, that's the that's, evolution. That's what I was going to say it's always about we have to sacrifice. We have to you know look at what these poor people are going through. Isn't it right for us to sacrifice? The fact that we wouldn't have to sacrifice this much if they just wouldn't shut down all the oil drilling and all the pipelines and so on seems lost on these people. It's really really frustrating. They do. They the media will twist anything into an, into a bizarre narrative, and they try to make things 
out of whole cloth that make no sense. I read an article about inflation. They were trying to talk about how it really isn't the fact that we've printed more money in the last few years than in his entire history of the country. That isn't really what happens. That's not exactly how it works. And they were just twisting themselves into a pretzel, trying to get out of the fact of the fact that, that, that if you print a whole bunch of money without corresponding goods and services being created, it dilutes the value of the money and causes inflation. That's the simplest way to explain it. And they just can't come out and say, yeah, that's the way it is. They have to try to think of some dumb excuse. And the problem is a lot of people don't really think about it. They don't consider it very deeply. And they just sort of believe what they see. They believe the headlines, even though they're demonstrably false. And that's what's so frustrating to me is to see these people just sort of, yeah, yeah, that's what CNN said. So it must be true. Crazy. Well, and not to mention that you can find a link to an article that will argue any goofy standpoint, and then you you can have headline and know that half the people won't read it anyway. And so I was in the in this very thread when I was pulling this tweet. <clears throat> I remember seeing someone post something about how, how gas prices are actually determined, and it was an Investopedia article. And it was so funny because in a similar way to your describing, they're kind of twisting them, their, themselves into knots. Well, here are all the different factors at play, you know, and they're like state and local taxes. And you're like, okay, that's fair. But state and local taxes usually are decided once every two years or maybe once a year at, at the most. And that's not the sole reason why gas went from $3.70 to $4.99 where I live in a span of a month before the legislature had ended session and before the governor assigned any bills into office, you know, that's not it. And they're talking about, well, gas station owners are can be more reactive to pricing and, and they can see trends and they can change their prices because the demand of gas is going to be, is, is not elastic like other things are. And I was like, yes, so if the gas station owners are able to react to things quicker to change prices, what are they reacting to? <laughs> they have to be reacting to something, and that's usually those policies they're trying to ignore and sweep under the rug. And if that were true, and gas stations decided they were suddenly going to raise their prices, that would mean that every gas station owner would have to be in collusion. Because if everybody else raised their prices and you just lowered yours by a couple cents a gallon, guess what? You'd get all the business. So right. that's you know free market. That's how it works. Unless there's price fixing, you can't suddenly say, Okay, everybody, we're all going to raise your prices, even though I don't need to. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, I, I, for one, am just mad that all of the corporate, you know, greedy CEOs all of a sudden got really greedy in 2021. Um, and I just wish they'd go back to their levels of greed in 2019 before, you know, they suddenly got greedy. I I would say it's the supply chain issues and stuff, but correlation doesn't imply causation. So <laughs> I don't really know if I'm safe to say that. I think they probably just got really greedy in two years for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> We're going to move on to the next post here. And uh, the first first post here is a blue check mark. So we do out him. And he is John King, who was the uh, Secretary of Education in the Obama administration from 2016 to 2017. I'm sorry. I Not the Obama. Uh, I'm sorry. Not 2016 to 2017. I believe he was Secretary of Education for one year. And I don't remember the year, but I believe it's under the Obama administration. Could be mistaken there. But... Regardless, he's now uh, he's now running for uh, governor in Maryland. Um, so he uh, he tweets, "I just became the first U.S. Secretary of Education to call on President Biden to unilaterally cancel student loan debt. Can I count on you to retweet and help me hit thirty-five thousand followers so we can spread the word?" And someone replies to him. I owe more now than what I took out because of the interest and being a teacher, parentheses, amazing how we make so little. It's ridiculous, never-ending problem, especially those of us that pay the same amount to get a degree that has a pay cap on it that will keep us under $100,000 forever. $100,000 forever. So there's there's a couple things here that are cringe. I think the first thing I just wanted to point out is I love this, you know, the Secretary of Education. I was the, I'm the first one. I just became the first one to call on President Biden to cancel student loan debt. Can we get to thirty five thousand followers, please? I mean, it's it's just such an obvious shilling thing. Like you, 
you realize that you're a former Secretary of Education, you probably could have called on this, I don't know, when you were acting Secretary of Education, when you maybe had a little bit more sway, but you also weren't running for governor, so there, I guess there wasn't as much reason to have your name clout go up then. Is What a stupid shill. Uh, and it's just so opaque and, and obvious. <laughs> well, the other thing that's kind of funny is he may be the very first U.S. Secretary of Education to call on President Biden to unilaterally cancel student loan debt, but that's not exactly a new idea. That's yeah. been floated <laughs> around for years. Everybody's been saying that on the left forever. So it's kind of like he must have either just heard of it or he's trying to narrow it down. I'm the first guy named Christopher V. Kimball to ever comment on this post. Yeah. So what? <laughs> you know what that makes me think of is in the 2016 debates, um, when the Washington billionaire Tom Steyer was running for president, and he's so forgettable, I would not, I would not hold it against anyone if they were saying who. Um, this guy's he's he's been a pain in our butts because he donates to all these campaigns and stuff. Or he's California. He just meddles in Washington affairs. I think that's what it is. Anyway, he's from California. He's this environmentalist guy, and he was running, and his whole pitch was this this very radical environmentalist agenda, and. He, I remember the most, the probably the most viral moment for him ever, and it was so embarrassing, is he goes, I am the only one on this stage who is willing to say that climate change is our number one existential threat, because they're, you know, contrasting to foreign policy. And then Biden, Biden goes, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> it's just right there. And I think like, I think maybe Bernie Sanders also did. Like two people on the stage, I remember Biden was one of them said, no, I'll say that. Yeah, I agree. And it was so funny because it was like, that was the only thing he came to say. And then it just, the wind were taking the out of it. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. So the, like you said, it's so funny. I just became the first U.S. Secretary of Education to call him. Okay, welcome to the club of people who have said that. But then again, he's a politician who's touting his little Secretary of Education title. Um, just kind of funny. It's also like, you know, if, if Biden was elected and then the first on the first day of his election, you're like, all right, uh, Biden, cancel student loan debt. I am the first person to call on President Biden to yeah. cancel student loan debt. It's like, yeah, it's because he just got into office. Like, I, I Nothing that's funny is he's trying to do what all the YouTube statements do about yeah. trying to get people involved like can can you think of any albums that blah blah, blah. Yeah. Can you remember that but instead what he says is a, is a yes or no question can i count on you to retweet and help me the answer is no yeah yeah just reply <laughs> yeah. no these other these other statements are always sort of open-ended they draw you in this is like can help you no it's just, yeah. just so easy to shut it down the clickbait you can't shut down you have to actually engage yeah. with it so that is also kind of a lame, lame sort of question. Uh, yeah, but let's let's move on to this the second one, and yeah. <clears throat> uh, this is also one of those um, takes where I don't necessarily harbor, well, in the same way that I, well, like I, I I harbor resentment towards politicians who I think are corrupt and powerful and knowingly doing bad things with bad takes. I think a lot of times people are deceived and they're duped, and I I kind of put this person in that category where. I, I really feel bad for her because I think she's one of the many victims of this government loan um, scheme that I, I guess that that that's been created where you're not really being informed of the implications of taking out this government loan. Um, and, and the reason, of course, I, I say this as a government loan versus a you know a private loan is because when you have the government subsidizing these with these artificially inflating uh, the, the college prices with these loans, it just makes the universities able to drastically increase their costs because they know that not only is it sort of this, you know, individual case by case, I'm going to choose to take out a private loan. It becomes this mass system of um, essentially them getting free, free money from the government or at least free guarantees of the money coming to them from the government through these loans. And then you end up with people like this who's got a teaching degree and they're not going to be making as much as a doctor so they're capped and then the interest that they took out is so bad that they they fall into this horrible system where they end up paying way more interest over the course than the original loan they took out and it's one of those things where you want to shake them and say why didn't you think of this beforehand you know this no one no one is at fault but you although the system itself is horrible and evil but not in the ways that these people think it is yeah, one of the things that's interesting if you, if you think about it is in a normal loan situation, <clears throat> the lender 
looks at the creditworthiness and the ability to repay the loan of anyone that needs a loan. And they're going to decide whether to give a loan based on the ability the person has to pay the loan back. And with government subsidies like this, the entire thing is flipped on its head. The worse off you are, the less money you have, the more likely you are to get the loan. The people who could pay it back easily, they don't qualify. They don't get the money. It's only the people who can't get money and don't have money. And even looking at future income potential, the person borrowing the money really ought to look at that, and that's on them. But as you say, if someone says, well, here's a bunch of money, and you can go to school and get your dream job of being a teacher, most people aren't going to stop and think about the ramifications. There's something to go, yeah, all right, get the money now. That's good. Instant gratification in this country tends to reign supreme. So that is another weird aspect of these government loan sort of things. But I, I would put a little more blame, I think, on the borrower. Because if you know you're going to be a teacher and you know you're not going to make a ton of money, why in the world would you take out loans that are gigantic? I've talked to people that have had loans and because they work in certain industries, the government will say after 20 years, your entire loan is forgiven. Yeah, And that to me is just bizarre. I mean, it's just basically Robin Hood, steal from the rich, give to the poor. Socialism is, in a, in a, is another word for it. And that's what you see in so many areas of government. When you really dig into it, we really do live in a partially, if not majority, socialist-type country. Yeah, well, and and to be fair, I think I think this person actually, if in the thread, specified that they would get, a, they're in the loan forgiveness program, and I think that usually is uh, if you're serving uh, lower income or special needs or something like that, where you're in this education system for enough years in not very likely to do well kind of things or high turnover rate uh, in that's, schools. That's true for attorneys too. There are attorneys that work mm-hmm. in the public sector that will also get this loan forgiveness. Yeah. So you, you create these incentives, but but the, the the thing about it too is it's like in in even when I was growing up and sort of being informed about all these loans and the difference I don't know when you're in, when you're in graduating high school, you're thinking about applying to college, you're thinking how you're going to get in. You have all these things floating you're like where am i going to live all these different things are in your head and uh financial aid is kind of given this broad category you you it you know you 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 if you were asked you know what the difference between a loan and a scholarship is but effectively they're kind of being treated like the same thing in your head in many ways where you just think this is money that is going to let me not have to pay for college right now sort of mentality. So when you hear about all these government loans, that's much different than a scholarship. And so people talk about these student loans being forgiven, cancel student loan debt, that kind of stuff. And there's a few things. One, I mean, I'm not against the idea of people who are not able to afford college getting scholarships from people who want to fund that sort of thing. There's a lot of people who have a big heart for communities that are uh, underprivileged and things like that or or have other kinds of hardship or individual families you know who who may not have the opportunities to make a lot of money because of the sector they're in and that's a great system those kinds of scholarships however that's not necessarily the government's role to give that away and canceling the second thing I'll say is canceling student loan debt does nothing about reforming the system you end up just creating a massive amount of giveaways that ends up causing taxpayers to pick up the check but you keep the system in place with no reforms and you're going to end up having the exact same problem in 20 30 40 years where you still have all the same incentives created for people to take out these loans that can't pay them back so this is the ultimate band-aid without actually you know mending the bone it's the quintessential definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results you talk about private scholarships like the Kenneth Kimball Music Scholarship at Centralia College, which is a great, great scholarship for those who are entering the music world. But again, it was funded by private individuals. And that, to me, is the way to do it. The government really shouldn't be involved with these things. I think that there should be maybe in certain, like for example, black communities, maybe if they're underfunded or people that come from other countries and don't speak the language as well, those kinds of things. If there are groups of people that want to get together and develop scholarships for certain groups, that's fine. I have no problem with that at all. But I do have a problem when the government 
takes money from people forcibly and then decides where that money is going to go. That's frustrating. It's like the whole Planned Parenthood thing. If I'm pro-life and I know my tax dollars are paying for abortions, that's frustrating and that's annoying. And the government shouldn't be making those kind of moral judgments. And what is a moral judgment other than saying, you deserve to go to college, you don't. We're going to decide who's worthy enough to get the money to go to college. And it's not based on merit necessarily or morality or anything. It's based on, you know, well, what kind of income do you have? What kind of assets do you have? doesn't matter if you spend all your money irresponsibly. The fact that you're in this situation at this instant, in this moment of time, you deserve to get this money. And I've said this many, many times that when I talk to people and I see things over my years in, in life, 98% of the people are where they are in life because of the choices they make. It's not for any other reason. Because you can have people that have been absolutely abused and treated terribly and gone through awful things, and yet they've picked themselves up, they've rebuilt their lives and become tremendously successful. You have other people that have every opportunity in the world and they make terrible decisions, they screw up their life and they end up homeless. I've seen it over and over again. And oftentimes when my wife and I have given money to somebody without doing a lot of due diligence, without really researching why the person is where they are, we just see the situation and instinctively think, oh gosh, we should help them. Then later we find out we've only enabled bad behavior or worse yet, been duped and taken advantage of by someone who's a really good actor. And so now you, you think about that on your individual circumstance and then you realize that any sort of government program is a massive blanket kind of thing where, yeah, sure, you have individual people doing these evaluations, but their policies that they have to follow uh, are being set at the bureaucratic level. Again, sort of a one-size-fits-all. The, the people who are evaluating these things, they don't get to use their own judgment, and they're not necessarily hired to use judgment. They're hired to, can you look at this application of for this loan? Do they meet these n numeric bars? Okay, great, approve or disapprove. Uh, the the more the more diversified and uh, small you have these scholarship opportunities from private actors, the more rigorous the qualifications can be, or the analysis of the applicants, that kind of thing uh, is. And and so you can actually make these kinds of judgment calls where it's like, look, on paper, this person seems like they might be above the the level of wealth that this other person is. But when you actually break down the numbers, you realize that, oh, the, 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 the wealth they have is actually tied up in a business that's not making them a ton of profit. So in a, in a pinch, they could sell this asset, but then they wouldn't have a sustainable income and they're, they have five siblings that they're taking care of and the dad died, so they're the sole income provider. So it looks on paper, if you looked at assets and, and income and all that sort of thing, maybe like they're making a lot of money and they don't need this scholarship, but when you look at the actual specifics, you can see that maybe there's more to the, the case. Those kinds of things don't happen in a broad government-based system usually. And so I think generally speaking, private private actors, even if even if it was a loan type situation, work better than government yeah. loans. And see, this person is frustrated because she's only making $100,000 forever. Well, my question would be, well, don't you have summers off? Don't you have holidays off? Don't you have evenings oftentimes off? If you got a second job and worked your tail off, chances are you could probably make some pretty good money. Go go to a fishing boat in Alaska for a summer. <laughs> Tough work, right? But you know what? You get out of debt pretty quickly. Right. And and if you can't, then again, that's to me more of an indictment on the education system. I, th I, I think as far as evenings usually go, summers, I think generally speaking, it's Mo you at least have some gap of time there where you're free. I know a lot of teachers who are spending their evenings doing work and they're working longer hours. And to me, again, that's that's more of an indictment of the system that they're in, also sure. run by the government. Uh, and as long as we have these kinds of loan programs where people are able to go into that profession, not get paid a lot, and still sort of get entrapped by the government moving the system along, you're never going to have reform because there's not going to be any incentive for the teachers unions or the public schools to change what they're doing because they're still getting bankrolled by these government loans. They still get their supply of teachers. Sure, they can churn and burn them or they get people who get their loans forgiven and stick it out and they have those spots filled. 
Plus, I'd like one last comment before we move yep. on. And that is $100,000 a year is jump change. If this person is making $100,000 a year, I wonder exactly how much student loan she has. I mean, would she get like a half a million dollar loan to get a elementary education degree or something? I mean, I don't know. That seems kind of odd to me. Yeah. And maybe she didn't even go in for the elementary education degree. You change your degree like five times or something. And if you're doing that, then you really need to be thinking a little bit more critically I mean, while I, you're I, making this. My first degree out of, out of community college was elementary education. And you know what? I looked at the pay schedule. I looked at how much I would be making. And the fact that I have to deal with these out-of-control kids, this was back in 1979, and I made a decision. It's not worth that low amount of money for what I'm going to have to do, and I made a decision. So I think sometimes people make these decisions and need to live with them. I knew there was a, a teacher back when I was in high school. He used to drive cabs during the summer. That was his summer job. He'd drive taxi cabs to make money. So it is possible to do that. Right. And I th- I. Th- we, Britt and I have talked about it on the show in the past, but there's a there's a very weird hero worship around teachers. And again, a lot of the my friends who I know are great teachers and they do hard work. I'm not denying that. Right. But we but the idea that to suggest that even maybe you need to work on your situation is it they sort there's sort of this indignance like how dare you try to fix the problem or fix the try to help me out here and it's like look people have to deal with different things depending on where they work and it sucks and maybe it's not fair that you have to drive a cab or an uber in the summer but if that's going to get you out of the situation people generally who are successful spend less time complaining about that and more time getting themselves out of the tough situations and the good teachers who are dedicated and really want to serve the kids, they, I think, make the decision in their minds that for the maybe lower amounts of money that they might make in a teaching career rather than being something in the public sector, for them, because they're dedicated, because they're great teachers, they've made the decision to do that. And you know that's that speaks well, I guess, of their integrity. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, so we're going to take a look at this next post. Uh, and it starts off with Senator Rand Paul, who um, had has introduced a bill um, that would overturn and ban Biden's airplane and public transport mask mandate. <laughs> so Rand Paul tweets, unelected bureaucrats have in, uh, incessantly declared that we should follow the science. But the same bureaucrats continue to defy science by imposing an ineffective and restrictive mask mandate for individuals traveling on public transit and airplanes. Let's end this now. And to this reply, we have uh, a 500 IQ level take reading, they're private companies, stay out of this. Okay. I hate this so, so much. I I think I rant about this probably every other episode on the show. But number one, when, when that line is applicable, right? When someone says, I don't like that private company is doing this thing, nine times out of 10... When we're expressing displeasure at that, we're not saying legislate something, right? So it's like, yes, they're a private company. They can do what they want. But the funny thing about this is that it's not the private companies imposing these mask mandates. It's the government. And this bill removes that. So if Delta Airlines wants to keep a mask mandate in place, they are free to do so. But they no longer have the federal bureaucratically enabled mask mandate. So they're private companies. Stay out of this. Just because you're removing a regulation from a private company does not mean that the government stays out of it because the government put its nose there in the first place. The funniest thing to me is where Rand Paul specifically says public transport. Yeah. And the person says, oh, private companies. Wait a minute. It says public transport. That's the opposite of a private company. It's just, I couldn't believe it. I just started laughing, thinking, what? Does this person not read the whole, the whole tweet well, there? The, yeah. yeah, this this guy's obviously never been on a, on a plane in the last two years because they will tell you time and time again, federal mandate or federal law requires. They are never saying... Delta Airlines or United Airlines required. It's always couched in the language of federal imposition of these things. So (laughs) Mr. Genius here, I don't think has been on one of those planes because he would have heard that drilled into his head five million times. But it's wild that, you know, I I did not scan uh, this 
random Twitter user's profile for the last three years. But something tells me that this level of their private companies stay out of this was not being shouted from the rooftops when we got told to lock down, when we were told that only essential, quote unquote, whatever the government defines as essential, businesses could stay open. And something tells me furthermore that he probably doesn't have a pro- or doesn't have a problem with courts ordering photographers or bakers to serve the clients that they feel moral uh, animosity towards or moral hesitance to do. You know, the gay the gay cake, uh, the gay wedding cake baker. Something tells me this guy's not saying shouting at the courts, hey, stay out of it, it's a private business. But when Rand Paul says, let's remove the federal imposition of a rule on a private business, that's when we need to stay out of it. Yeah, the whole thing is so rife with problems that it's almost impossible to, to deal with it because it's so ridiculous on its face i mean yeah. the whole thing i i don't know it's yeah i don't i don't even think there's a lot here i just saw it and i thought i can't pass this up this is yeah, just no. it's just too funny yeah it's just yeah too funny. <laughs> it's... all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that the private company of public transit uh is not interfered with by government so we'll start by ending all government subsidies to it and the government funding how's that yeah Okay, <clears throat> this last post uh, is from January of this year, so it's even it's even out of date. I just found it in my sort of saved archives, and I and I imagine that it's ever more relevant and applicable now. But we, you know, opinions shift quite a bit in two months, so we'll we'll, we'll I imagine it's not too far off the mark. But anyway, the the first tweet uh, is from Mark Murray, who tweets NBC News poll on nation's mood among adults. Uh, on the right, tr- America being on the right track, 22%. Wrong t- track, 72%. Income falling behind cost of living, 61%. Staying even, 30%. Going up, 7%. Polarization will only grow, 70%. Country can come together, 27%. Yes, threat to democracy is real, 76%. No, not real, 21%. And uh, then the reply reads... Well, if NBC News would stop working against the President of the United States and tout his accomplishments, maybe these polls would be better! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> I, I, I think there's, there's so much, so much funny with this tweet. I, I kind of, I almost, I need to like write down all the different aspects that I think are funny because it's funny in so many different ways to me. The first is, if NBC News would stop working against the President. What planet is this person living on that they think NBC is working against Biden? I, I, have you flipped on NBC lately? I, I don't have cable, so I, I don't know. But It's almost every major news source, when you watch them, it's very, very biased pro-left. I mean, I, it's especially true when Trump was president because he was so easy to dislike. But now even, they always slant things to try to make it sound like they're neutral. But when you really listen to what they're saying, they're not. They always slant left. Not as far as PBS, perhaps, but really I'm frustrated. The way they word things and the way they slant things, really frustrating. So for someone to say that NBC is working against President Biden, that is patently false. Well, so the other funny thing is that let's, I mean, let's let's say for, for a second that NBC was neutral on Biden, right? Not Not sort of covering for him and stuff. It's not the media's job to tout the president's accomplishments. That's that's the the press secretary's job, you know. Even if there I, were I, any, <laughs> right? It's it's like I don't know if if the if Ron Paul was elected in 2012 and we were in this glorious free market uh, haven, you know, we were in Ancapistan or whatever, um, and let's say that he ended all the wars and there was peace everywhere and the, the country's flourishing. The journalist's job in that is not to list out his accomplishments. It's to report on the state of things. If, you know, if j- corporate journalism can be trusted, I, I prefer independent journalists because they tend to at least show their biases and report on data and facts and have to be cited. But, but let's say in an ideal world of corporate journalism, you, you want them just reporting on what is and behind the scenes things and keeping administrations accountable and things like that you don't want them saying wow it's another great day in ron paul's land ever since he's ended the war in iran or excuse me ended the wars iran has been super peaceful and we have no problems with them russia has laid down their arms it's a great day that's not journalism that's butt kissing (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that in itself is an agenda. I mean, that's right. the whole point. You just say, this is good. You don't necessarily say, because of this. You say, this is the way it is, and this is because, you know. they. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, again, it's crazy. And, and the thing is that those statistics, if if it came from a NBC News poll, I suppose one could argue that maybe the wording on the questions was one way or another, but the wording here seems pretty straightforward. Is the country on the right track? Is it not on the right track? I'm not sure how you could really swing that unless you just blatantly lied. And yeah, you can you can question how far you can go before something actually becomes a lie, but it would be very difficult to actually manufacture these statistics and not get fact checked almost fact checked almost immediately and exposed. So well, not to mention, you. it seems like wait, this person is confused because something like income falling behind cost of living, 61%, staying even 30%, going up 7%. When I'm asked the question is, is your income going up relative to the cost of living? I'm not thinking, well, what did Biden have to say about it? I'm yeah. thinking, what is my paycheck and what are prices? It's just, it's just a question of what's in front of you. It has nothing to do with your perception of the presidency and how Biden has or hasn't done. I mean, I was not a fan of President Trump in many ways. And yet, if you still ask me, you know, it was gas cheaper under President Trump than not? I would say yes, because under President Trump, gas was cheaper. It cost me less. That's not a question where my perception of Trump had anything to do with the answer. So mm -hmm. when that's, it, it feels like so many of these questions, except for the right and wrong track, the very first one, I don't think that the Biden's, Biden's presidency or his achievements or non-achievements or whatever your impressions are, it, they seem completely irrelevant to the questions. And this person is just coping very, very hard, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, when people tend to lash out like that, oftentimes it's because they do feel challenged and they feel as if their sacred cow is getting slain and they need to do something to distract by making a big ruckus. Um, people that are calm generally tend to win arguments. People that yell and scream and get violent tend to lose arguments. So oftentimes it's because they, they don't have anything to stand on that's logical or any basis of fact. They just try to make as much noise as they can to distract from the fact that their arguments are basically pointless. Right. And and I think that that's, that's totally validated by the fact that he's mad that this isn't being spun in a way that's pro-Biden because he doesn't have any arguments he can make. He doesn't even say if NBC News would talk about all the great things Biden does, such as. He just exactly. says, yeah. no, NBC, you're supposed to spin this for me, you know? Yeah. And the and the funny thing is to me, when I look at the, the, the sort of qualitative questions here, is the country on the right or the wrong track? Um, is the threat to democracy real? Is polarization growing or can we come together? Those questions, answering yes or like wrong track or threat to democracy is real or we can't come together, those seem independent of party. I think the people who were angry at that Trump could never do anything right and he was um, the biggest threat to democracy since Hitler, uh, I think those people are answering the same way that the people who are saying Biden stole the election and he's the literal antichrist and Trump needs to defeat him uh, in order to fulfill the biblical prophecies. You know, those are those people are both answering the same way on these polls so this guy's outrage is just kind of looks pathetic and like you're just making biden look bad and it's like the biden supporters or the the left as a whole probably answered very similarly to the trump supporters here exactly. they're just pointing fingers at the other person yeah i know that's that's a great point <laughs> all right well unless you have any last thoughts on this one i think we can wrap up the show any any other wanna, thoughts i was just gonna say i'm gonna put a plug in for my my YouTube channel, yes, Chris, Chris the Drummer Kimball. If you're into music or drums or know somebody that is, you got to take a look. I got a lot of different videos on there with a lot of different points, subjects, and you know, interesting tidbits about percussion and drum sets. So tune in, Chris the Drummer Kimball. More viewers, the better. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for co-hosting with me today. I really appreciate it. And we will catch all of you guys on the next one. Bye-bye.